0: You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Hey,
1: welcome in the Wednesday edition of Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing. Union Home Mortgages, Matt and Lars, as you mentioned, and Justin Jones is our producer for the final time as he is going to exit and go on to what we hope for greener pastures. And uh, we will talk at length with Justin. And What a great contributor he has been into this show a little bit later in big Noon sports. First of all, let's welcome in Lars, who is currently cutting his yard. Uh, yes, I apologize. Uh, hopefully it will be done here
2: shortly. Uh, college football playoff rankings came out yesterday, Matt, after our show. Um... And were you surprised by anything? Uh, we wow. got, uh, uh, Ohio State, uh, gosh, excuse me, just, just went down on me, of course.
1: Um, Ohio, I actually I it. it's just Ohio lost State, it. <laughs> it's Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, Washington, all of which are undefeated. Then you've got one loss Oregon, one loss Texas, one loss Alabama, one loss Ole Miss, and, uh, one loss Penn State. You know, Lars, about four or five months ago, you said there's a real chance that Alabama could not make the playoffs. And I kind of went, huh? Winner of the SEC championship game should go to the playoffs. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, Alabama, like they did uh, about 10 years ago, has got to have some things happen in front of them. Um, they are not in control of their own destiny, and that seems difficult. The team we saw beat LSU, but um, I have I've learned that I have to accept the fact that's a real possibility. Now it's likely two, at least two of these teams are going to up playing each other, right? But even in a loss, is um, Ohio State going to drop that far if Michigan happens to beat them? Vice versa, um, I don't see Georgia losing. Um, Florida State might, but I don't think that their schedule um, is all that tough, including a championship game. So Alabama is obviously, Lars, they need help, right? Uh,
2: Yes, they do. I'm sorry. I've got so much stuff going on in my house right now. It's unbelievable. But um, yeah, Alabama needs some help. There's no question about it, because if Washington runs the table they're going to be in. If Michigan or Ohio State runs the table, they're going to be in. If Florida State runs the table, they're going to be in. If Texas then ends up winning the Big Ten championship, or excuse me, the Big 12 championship, is there any argument that can be made to put Alabama in over Texas? I, I guess you could. I mean, Texas' lone loss is against Oklahoma, and Oklahoma has just fallen flat on its face. Um, in the eye test, you certainly would think if uh, Alabama and Texas were to play on a neutral field right now, that Alabama would be favored. But, you know, it, I think what trumps everything is the fact that Texas came into Tuscaloosa on a Saturday night in September and beat them pretty handily. And so uh, I think it was what the first double-digit loss at home, uh, Nick Saban's tenure at Alabama. I think that or it's, it's something like some crazy stat like that. So uh, unfortunately, you know, Alabama just has to. At this point, Alabama needs help. But usually, these things have a way of working themselves out. And uh, and, and who knows how Texas if they continue to. Not look great, and they are not playing as well as they were when they visited Tuscaloosa. And a lot, and a big part of that is their quarterback Quinn Ewers is hurt. And uh, Alabama is obviously playing a lot better, but it, it's just going to be so hard if it comes down to Alabama and Texas, and that is just, that's that's got to be the, the sort of the biggest fear of Alabama fans. It's just hard to make that argument that you put Alabama in over the Longhorns based on. Head-to-head competition at Brian Denny.
1: Yeah, it's tough. I think the only argument you can really make right now is perhaps Oregon because of strength of schedule. Um, their records are the same as uh, their record is the same as Alabama, but um, this I think if Oregon and Washington meet, that uh, Oregon's going to win that game, and then. Man, yeah, what happens at then, that particular? Then I, I point. think
2: Alabama. Would, I think Alabama would get in over Oregon, and so that in that scenario, um, you know, we've been talking about the Pac-12 all season long about how surprisingly, in their last year of existence, they had emerged as the strongest conference and with the most depth. And I still think you, you could make that argument. And it's very possible that the the teams just cannibalize themselves because I think a one loss Pac-12 champion does not get in over a one loss SEC champion, uh, meaning Alabama. Oregon is there. I I I know, but Alabama beating Georgia in the SEC championship game, I and and it'd be based on how that game would be played out. I think Alabama would leapfrog Oregon. But again, Oregon's going to have to play Washington most likely in the uh, in the Pac-12 championship. So, who knows? There's a there's a lot to that still will I think will take care of itself. But there are some scenarios out there where Alabama, even if they win out, they will not make it in.
1: It's. Uh... Probably a small thing, and it is going to work its way out because obviously two teams in front of Washington, Ohio State, and Michigan, are going to play, and a loss there would drop them below Washington. But right now, I think I'd have Washington at four and Florida State at five. But I think that is a scenario, Lars, that is absolutely going to play its way out. But uh, we'll see. Um, it's not uh, an enviable position for Alabama because of what I've said now three times, is that they're not in control. Um, They can win out and win out impressively and then, you know, possibly beat Georgia. It's hard to imagine an SEC champion not going, not being in the top four at the end of the year. Um, And then what happens with Georgia if they lose a game? You know, Um, do they drop all the way out of the top four? I would guess so. Um, And you could, you know, you could give some evidence that Georgia hadn't really played outstanding, but hey, guess what? They are undefeated. They have won, what, 27 in a row now? Um, so I wonder what kind of consideration you give a team that come in, comes into the season um, uh, an undefeated two-time champion. So we'll see how it works out, but um, it's going to be kind of dicey here over the next couple of weeks. We'll just see what happens. Yeah, and uh, boy, it really would have helped out Alabama
2: if Kansas State um had had won that game in overtime uh against texas this last weekend um then that
1: that issue would be resolved let me ask you something excuse me for interrupting. let me ask you something straight up lars if things just continue to be the same does texas stay in front of alabama yeah i think so too it's unfortunately uh, alabama Alabama. would be uh, yeah, I, do I think too. Alabama would beat Texas They're now. two completely different you know teams. Alabama suffered teams, yeah. uh, a double-digit home loss. But, hey, congratulations. Texas won by double digits at Bryant-Denny Stadium. So I, I think that will keep Texas in front of Alabama unless they suffer a loss here. But uh, it's it's fun to play around with. This is uh, one of those topics that uh, really fuel talk radio and now podcasts and, like ours and, and then um, all the talk and, and, on social media another question
2: is what if penn state beats michigan this weekend and really what is the game of the weekend along with georgia hosting old miss um old miss is up to nine so um which actually helps alabama the fact that old miss is so high um but what happens if penn state beats michigan and, and then Michigan beats Ohio State. You have three one-loss teams in the Big Ten. Um,
1: and one so. of them is ranked number one in the power rankings, and that's Ohio State. Yeah, I was surprised, I mean, actually. The, how does a number one team drop five, six places? Well, I think that's uh, what they would. Uh, but I was surprised. I was surprised that the committee put Ohio State uh, above
2: Georgia because Georgia beats a very good Missouri team. Uh, granted, it wasn't the prettiest game in the world, but Ohio State really struggled against a Rutgers team that is not that wonderful. And uh, But they, they played good in the second half, so I guess that was enough for the committee to keep Ohio State at one. But, um, yeah, and, you know, you're – If you're Alabama fan, you're rooting for anyone and everyone who plays Florida State. Um, but it looks like Florida State has a pretty clear path to me to uh, making it into the final four, especially based on the way they're playing.
1: As we go out, is Florida, is Florida State a top four team? Do they belong at four? (laughs) Probably based on who they've beaten. I, oh. I think Washington belongs there. But again, you know what, Lars? That's going to play itself out. Yeah. We just don't know. I can't wait for these games, particularly this weekend, to see what happens. Hey, you're listening to Big Noon Sports. It's Lars, Matt, and Justin. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you the extraordinary story about the longest pass in football history. That's coming up on Big Noon Sports.
2: Buenas entire process, the Bama broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama broker who's as roll tied as houndstooth will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com.
0: Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. The weather unseasonably warm this afternoon, partly to mostly sunny, the high 82. For tonight, mostly fair with a low at 59. Tomorrow, clouds gradually increasing. We'll have a chance of showers by tomorrow night, the daytime high 79. I'm James Spann of the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 81
3: degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports.
1: Hey, we back on Big Noon Sports. Man. Large today, uh, as opposed to eighty-one yesterday. Today it is a more crisp and fall-like afternoon, and that doesn't that doesn't stop the lawn work, does it? <laughs> it's not that actually. Much it did for now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's about but 69 it's, uh, right now. Yeah,
2: it does not feel like fall football weather right now. It feels like uh,
1: August. The uh, last days of uh, last days of August. Um. I saw a story this morning on AL.com. Mark Heim seems to be able to pick these things off, and he is often a guest on the show. And this one is a real doozy. Um, it's a story that comes from the memoirs in a book published uh, by... Not, she didn't publish it, but she wrote it, by Katie Britt, who is now the U.S. Senator. Um, her husband, Wesley Britt, uh, played at Alabama. And unfortunately, they were victims of the 2011 tornadoes. And she writes in, uh, in her book, and Mark Heim picks off some of the quotes in this story, that um, they found part of their belongings like a picture, a family photo of the Brits was found in Rainbow City, which is 100 miles away. Uh, her law notes, can you imagine being in law school and having all your law notes just tossed? <laughs> that's um, tough. Yeah, that's tough. And so as the story continues, there's a football that was found 10 miles away from her home. And it was a cherished family, you know, souvenir, collectible. And it was found 10 miles. So that's the longest pass I've ever heard. You ever heard anybody Mm -hmm. throw one? A tornado can throw a football 10, 10 miles and more. And that's a really cool. But it was returned to the Bryant Museum where it was on display. And Wesley Britt saw it and said, hey, I believe that's our families. But here's what makes the story just incredible. I mean, you're know, talking about the world working in a circle and through the hands of God. You know who found the football and put it in the Bryant Museum? Cecil Hurt. <laughs> Unbelievable! That's just an incredible story, and it just goes to—I um, I, guess—the karma that can sometimes happen, even in a disaster like the the tornadoes of Tuscaloosa in 2011. Um, but also, good people. They, they, her wallet was tossed somewhere uh, tens of twenty miles away, Yeah, halfway across the state.
4: Yeah
1: somebody returned it with twenty dollars <laughs> said we hope you're all right here's your wallet yeah there's some good people left in this world lars anderson yeah
2: and um
1: it uh it'll be really interesting i
2: i'm i look forward to reading reading her book and it's called uh god calls us to do hard things lessons from the alabama wiregrass and uh You know, my my politics don't align with Katie's, but I certainly uh, appreciate her and uh, think she is doing a really good job uh, for the state of Alabama. And I think she's going to have that seat uh, for as long as she wants it, basically. But um, this is just it's a really uh, I'm sure it's it's it reads just according to the story again by Mark Heim that Katie really gets personal. About, um, you know, her time at the University of Alabama and, uh, and her experiences in Tuscaloosa and especially on that day and, uh, on, 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 on April 27th, 2011. Um, I, I'm, you know, what's even more impressive about this, uh, Matt is I, I don't think Cecil ever wrote about uh, I don't this, think so either. I, at least I never heard about it. And certainly, you know, in all my research for The Storm and the Tide, if I had known about this story, I certainly would have put it Absolutely. in in the, uh, in the book. And so the fact that Cecil kept it, uh, you know, kept it private, I think, uh, speaks to his character.
1: Well, it does. And nobody knows. Well, I guess there are some that know a little bit more, maybe not about what happened in Tuscaloosa back in 2011 because your, your book was a New York Times bestseller in the Storm of the Tide. So um, kudos to all and all their memoirs and all their notes. And I just thought that was story because I remember, Lars, when I was very, very young. That's the first major story I ever covered. I think I was 15 years old in Huntsville. And, you know, the 73 tornadoes that came through uh, North Alabama were um they were uh they were tragic i don't know as far as lives lost if it was um equal to the day in 2011 but i remember reading later that uh, they found a check that somebody had written in guin alabama in huntsville alabama and as the crow flies i think that's probably about 75 miles and it was, I think, at that point in my life, I realized how absolutely ferocious tornadoes could be uh, to take something, you know, paper-like, because it is paper, mm-hmm. and twirl it around for 75 miles and then just, you know, drop it in somebody's driveway. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, I had... Mean, this is not an unusual story as far as finding personal items uh, no. hundreds of miles away. I mean, just in my lawn, uh, In I was living in Homewood at the time,
2: uh... I, there was a paper with markings from Tuscaloosa ended up in my yard and our buddy, uh, Kerry Estes, uh, in Birmingham, he literally, uh, in his front yard, he saw a, um, he, he was it was, at, you know, because the, the tornado passed about, what, 10 miles north of, uh, of Birmingham, or, or really maybe right. five. And, uh, but a uh, car battery fell from the sky in, into Carrie's yard in Birmingham.
1: Car battery. It's a pretty heavy item. Yeah. Heavier yeah. Yeah. than a football and a check, for darn sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Carrie has just found a battery. <laughs> yeah. In his yard, <laughs> who knows where that battery came
2: from? I mean, you, one would suspect that you know, a car, a, a car battery is not light. <laughs> I,
1: you know, I, even I don't know. it came know. from down the street, it just it shows you, uh, yeah, what what these beasts. The, the, yeah.
2: Oh man, just the the ferocity, hundred ninety mile an hour winds. It's
1: uh, it's a, it's a fantastic story, and then it is literally topped by the fact that long-time writer, Hall of Fame journalist. Cecil Hart found it. Yeah. There's something very appropriate about that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, so many stories from that day. So many stories. And and it's not just Tuscaloosa, as we know. There's so many other communities that were, um, were were devastated that day. And, uh, and, you know, I, I worry about the collective memory is starting to fade, at least from my perspective, uh, in, in being in Tuscaloosa, uh, you know, the current students were so young when this event happened, you know, they were, 10 years old, um, and and the majority, as you as you spoke to my class last night and saw for your, yourself, the majority of my students are from out of state, so they don't know anything about April 27th, 2011, and I've been a little surprised by the some decisions that have been made by the school about, you know, when to call off class, when not to based on what the radar is saying and it's just uh i've talked to some other people at the university and they've been a little perplexed too just because you know for for the the people who live through it and especially for the people who lost everything and there are so many of those people still in alabama still affiliated with the university that every time there's a warning it's like uh Post-traumatic stress kind of settles in and, uh, and and again, it it wasn't my, it's not the case for me because I I wasn't, you know, uh, personally impacted the way so many others were. But, um, anyway, I just, I, I just, it's just my sense that, uh, that the, again, the collective sort of consciousness of that day is, is fading too fast.
1: Well, and I'm not going to get too deep, but I think that that's uh, very much true in the case of 9-11, too. Uh, Of course, that was 22 years ago, but I I, I don't think America has the same soul it did back then, and that's about all I'm going to say about that. All right. um, Coming up, we're going to talk to uh, our college football guy, All Things Football. Steve Irvine will be joining us, and he'll so give us um, give us a rundown on some college basketball as well. And then at 1 o'clock this afternoon, Brian Crichton will be joining us, tele- a, a Super Speedway chairman, and he will talk about Ryan Blaney being the champion of the Cup Series, and then also about something you could do this Saturday that ought to thrill the kids. And I've done it. You should do it. You're listening to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage.
3: From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon
1: Sports. Our select interviews are brought to you by Larley Thompson, D Bama Broker Advantage Realty Group, and she will be with us as always during the football season. She will be with us, be with us Friday at this Free Irish Pub, right there on University 25 Years, Tuscaloosa's best bar. Lars, Matt, Justin, and now joined by one of our regulars, very generous with his time. It's uh, the one and only Steve Irvine. Steve, how uh, how are things on this Wednesday afternoon with you?
5: Oh, uh, everything's going great, man. Just driving home from football practice at UAB and just enjoying the day. What are they doing? Uh, they pra- they practice in the morning, man. They they uh, I love it, man. They they get up and they practice in the morning and interviews about well, I don't know. I usually interview around eleven thirty or so and uh, get on home, man. So. Uh, I
2: like that. I think everybody should do that. <laughs> hey, Steve. Yesterday, uh, Matt and I we were uh, talking with our, our buddy uh, Walt Williams, and uh, he was telling us about Harrison Barker getting some action. Jason, yeah. hey, tell us tell us just a little bit about Harrison, and and uh, apparently, it suffered a, an injury, unfortunately.
5: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a great, it was really a great story. You know, they, the, the starting quarterback, Jacob Zeno, was, uh, had a concussion and was unable to play. So they, uh, came up with a plan to play three different quarterbacks. This is last week against Memphis. And, and, uh, you know, he, they, um, you know, Harrison was three on the depth chart, but they started him. You know, they, they just figured it with what they wanted to do at first. They started him and, you know, he threw a touchdown pass on his, uh, I think it was the fourth play of the game. First drive, touchdown pass, beautiful pass and a kind of a fade pattern to the, uh, to, to a receiver in the corner and end zone or, and just really, really played well during the game. All three of them did the game a chance to, uh, to win. You know, they, they, they was 21-21 and a half and it was a lot of it was because the quarterbacks were playing well. Uh, unfortunately he got a, you know, he had a concussion in the, in the game and, uh, we didn't, weren't able to finish and, and, uh, but I mean, he's back out now playing and, you know i think that uh i think they gained some confidence in, in him and and the other guys that if something happens again they'll give it another shot you know and so uh but it was fun to watch it really was
1: um and he, what, what makes that story even cooler i mean you know his dad obviously national championship quarterback you know alabama hall of fame we all know jay many of us right. know him very very well consider him a good friend but Jay posted the video of when Harrison was awarded his scholarship. And that was less than a year ago. And that's pretty cool. And I guess that just enlightens the whole story. Um, is it just progression day by day on the concussion protocol?
5: Yeah, well, he's fine now. He's back in practice now. I think, you know, because that was two weeks ago now. So he... Um, I'm not sure. I don't remember if he dressed last week or not, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, he didn't get a chance to play, but, but yeah, he's fine. I mean, he, he's, he, he's fine. And, and, you know, again, I think that moving forward, that shows, you know, that, that he can do a job. And, and actually his scholarship was actually during Paul Camp, you know, when he was awarded a scholarship. Yeah. So that you're talking about, I mean, that's what two months ago or whatever it was, three months, whatever it was. And that was a neat little deal too when, when he got that. So, uh, but it's been fun to watch him. And, and you know, I tell you, you don't really notice it, you know, maybe from the outside, but he has played such a key role. With uh, he's, he's one of the top, one of their signal guys. He sends the signals in, and and um, they've talked a lot about how because he's so he's so he knows he knows football so well that he's really kind of he's really been more than just a guy sending in signals. So he can he can see things at times when he's you know before he signals in and that type of thing. So he's played a key role. It just hadn't. You just really hadn't seen it every day. That type of
2: thing. Yeah, and uh, he has an understanding of the game, unlike uh, a few others, just because of his dad and always being around it. But let's uh, let's just uh, sort of zoom out uh, or just take a wider look, camera look, angle look at uh, at Trent Dilfer, and and you know he was a national story coming into the season um now we're about two-thirds of the way or so through the season. Just give us your assessment of Trent Dilfer and and just uh, how you think he's done this year in in uh, adjusting to being a head coach in at the college level for the first time and, and guiding this blazer program.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think honestly he's done a good job. I think it, it has been a learning process and I, I don't know that he was quite, I don't know that he he quite understood how much a learning process it was going to be. You know, I, you know, I think that he had built that, uh, you know, that high school program in a short time into such a power. And, you know, I, I think there was part of him that thought it was going to be the same thing. And, and it's not. I mean, as you, as we all know, it's, it's not. And so I think he's taken a lot of steps, you know, as, as a head coach. Uh, I think that, um, there'll be some things that he does different moving forward and, and, and there'll be some things he does the same moving forward. But, you know, I think for, um, you know, for, you know, it's hard to put a grade on it, you know, especially when it's such a bottom line and such a, you know, wins and losses sort of uh business that sometimes you, you lose sight of, uh, you don't see progression. And, you know, if you, if you don't see it on the scoreboard and, 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 but I've seen a lot of progression from him and, and, and they, you know, they changed some things and, um, you know, on the fly type thing. And, but, but I, uh, you know, I think he's done well. I mean, you know, um, the other thing that, it would do, that none of us did, including myself, is we didn't really analyze well, uh, well, that, you know, just how many, that there were some holes here. Sometimes that's tough to do, you know, personnel wise. Sometimes that's tough to do when, when all you see is them against each other. Because you see, you know, if there's a hole somewhere, the, you know, that they're going against and, and they're, they're, they're really good in this area. Well, that might be because they're not so good in, in the other area that they're, they're going against. So I think there was a little bit of that, too. Um, and I do think this, I think this has to be mentioned when, when you're talking about his first year, kind of his first year assessment, is he purposely did not come in and try to tear this thing up. He, he came in and I think he knew that there could be some lumps, but I think he wanted to give you know, and I give, give everybody here kind of an honest chance type of thing about, okay, well, I think that, you know, I, I think I'm going to give these, you know, I'm going to give it a year and I'm going to build and I'm going to, I'm going to bring in some high school kids and let them, you know, let let them progress uh, over a year. So I, he could have come in, he could have blown it up. He could have hit the portal hard. He could have hit Juco hard and he didn't do that. And I think that was, that was purposeful. I, I, I think it was. And, and so I commend him for that. I really do.
1: By the way, our guest is Steve Irvine with Magic City Impact. It's the official NIL Collective of UAB. Let's uh, switch gears quickly to um, UAB and Bradley Monday night. Uh, uh-huh. Really odd game because Bradley had UAB forty to twenty four at the half. Well, UAB flips it, and I mean exactly. UAB outscores Bradley in the second half, 40 to 24. So they go to overtime. The Braves end up winning in 73 71. Is, is that more, this difficult question, is that more, uh, cause UAB's just not ready or is Bradley that good?
5: Well, I think it's two good teams. I mean, I really do. And I, and, I, and, and, and I kind of am going to go both ways on this. I don't know if UAB's ready but I think it's also two, two good teams. And I think there was, uh, you know, again, I talk about purposeful, I mean, Andy Kennedy and and I think Brian Wardle or Bradley both, I think they both wanted a game like that. Maybe not as crazy as it was, but I think they really wanted to be pushed to see where they were, you know? And, and there's a lot of questions that, that, you know, that came out of that game for Andy Kennedy about, you know, moving forward, you know, certain guys and that type of thing. But, but, but I think it was I think in the long run you're gonna see it was it was a good game for both teams. It's a, it's a lot better if you win that thing. But uh but it was you know, I think I think you're gonna learn a lot. It's a lot better than just rolling it out there and you know and playing, you know, somebody that you're gonna beat by a lot More and then you don't have eight. any Yeah, yeah. I mean do something like that. And, and you know, and, and UAB's got to go play Clemson on on Friday and if they win uh, and then they'll play either Davidson or Maryland after that. So he wanted this to answer some questions before
1: they went into that. And last night, a really good basketball game. Baylor, Auburn yeah. kind of blew a lead, or Baylor just got hot, but they won that thing eighty-eight to ninety-two. And yeah. the Tigers were up eleven at the half. But anyway, who wants to play basketball yeah. in Sioux Falls, South Dakota? Yikes! Hey, let's talk Alabama <laughs> hey basketball. Now, my parents are from my parents are from South Dakota. Um, yeah, there
2: you go. <laughs> I and I've 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 stayed many a night in Sioux Falls. It's have lovely. Absolutely. Really. Yeah. There you go.
5: It's beautiful. It really is a beautiful place.
1: The holodomes. When we get back, will uh the what? Is that the basketball H- arena? Holiday up? no,
2: no, the holiday inn holida oh. remember when you were little and holiday inns had holodomes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, There's one. In, pool, there's there's one in yeah. It's one in South Dakota, in in in, in, uh, in Sioux Falls. Sorry,
1: everything in Sioux Falls is indoors, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> hey, let's old. talk some Alabama basketball and college football when we get back on Big News Sports with Steve Irvine. <laughs>
0: If you fish, tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. The weather unseasonably warm this afternoon, partly to mostly sunny, the high 82. For tonight, mostly fair with a low at 59. Tomorrow, clouds gradually increasing. We'll have a chance of showers by tomorrow night, the daytime high 79. I'm James Spann of the ABC 3340 Weather Center on tide 100.9.
3: It's 81 degrees in Tuscaloosa. More big noon sports coming
1: up. Indeed it is. And our guest from Magic City Impact is Steve Irvine. Steve, Alabama opened up with a huge win over Moorhead State. And the transfer portal has been very, very good to Nate Oates because he's learned to work it. Um, there'll be a drop-off because there's no Brandon Miller, but there's Grant Nelson. Whoa. Um, you had a chance to uh, look into and... Figure out what's going on in Alabama because it seems to me like Nate Oates is locked in to just produce teams like this every year. He knows how to work the transfer portal, doesn't he?
5: Boy, he does. I mean, he does. There's no doubt about that. And you know, this day and age, you know, particularly in college, in in college basketball a little more because you don't need to, you know, you don't need to get a whole lot of them. I mean, you you can have two, three, you know, two or three probably that didn't really make a, an impact and, and you can a little bit in football, depending on those who, who those two or three are. But you know, in football, you have to have a little more to make a huge impact. But, but you know, with, with this, I mean, you bring in a Grant Nelson, you know, I mean, and and that changes things. I mean, it, it really does. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Aaron Estrada. I mean, just, I mean, just different guys you get, you know, that you can come and, and, and you can fill a hole, so to speak, uh, of, 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 of guys that left, or you can bring something new type thing. And then, but Grant Nelson, I, I was really looking forward to seeing him play. He was very impressed. Uh, you know, he's a guy, <laughs> obviously he's a matchup guy that he's got a matchup problem for people. And so I think that, uh, you know, certainly you build around him and some other guys.
2: Yeah. And, yeah. uh, I think really perp- impressive performance by Alabama right out of the gate. Um, all right. Let's switch gears and go to uh, Crimson Tide football. Um, and just the, uh, the transformation of Jalen Milroe from, uh, not playing at all against South Florida, you know, struggling against Texas and then basically being benched, uh, in the South Florida game to what we saw on Saturday night, which was, um, just an absolutely electrifying player. The,
5: and the amazing thing is, and you would never, I mean, I don't know if you would never, but it was hard to say this early in the year that you would ever think he was going to be looked like a polished, polished football player this year. I mean, you really, you know, cause there's just such struggle early on and, um, but man, he's polished. I mean, it's not just an athlete running around out there like, like he kind of was early in the year. I mean, he's, he's polished, uh, you know, just such a, such a playmaker. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, and the other thing that, I mean, Lawrence, if you think about it, would would could would we have ever said that he's a Heisman Trophy candidate, you know, in <laughs> early in the year? I mean, come on. Come no. man, and he and he's that's, true, that's, he, he's true. That's, that's, he,
2: talk to Matt Coulter. <laughs> we we
1: talked to Matt Coulter about this, please. Oh, no, uh, Steve, earlier in the week, <laughs> Lars mentioned that, and I went, he's not going to win a Heisman, and, and he is Come on! I, I kind of went on. to Peshaw, I went to Peshaw play on it, and then, the, like, 15 minutes later, he found an article and. it. He's tenth in the voting <laughs> now. So and, and, hey, 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 and, hey, and hey, every single Matt. every
2: single guest we've had, I think even Brando mentioned Milrow and Heisman in the
5: same, <laughs> same
1: breath. I mean, <laughs> who knows? You who have history. to. You
5: you yeah. have to mention the way the way the Heisman is set up, and the way he's played as the seasons progress. You have to mention him as a Heisman candidate right now. Now, you, now I'm not saying he's the number one guy, uh, but you know what? If we're sitting here. After the SEC championship game and, and Alabama's twelve and one, and 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 they, and he's played like he's playing right now the the, the the remainder of the way, then you're crazy if you don't think he's a candidate at that point. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yes, then, there's work left, isn't it? You know, certain, is it have you,
2: have you seen this happen before, Steve? Where one game just absolutely changes the national perception
5: of one player? I can't think of it. You know, I mean, I, there's been times maybe you could think of it the opposite way where somebody's, you know, they're talking about somebody as a candidate and, and then they have a really bad game and you sort of, they sort of fall off. Uh, but I, 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 boy, that's, that's maybe if we sit down and really brainstorm it, there might be somebody that you could say that about. But, but off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody that, um, that is overnight type thing almost as, as nationally. As uh, now, but, but I, I think it's more than overnight if you really look at it. Obviously, but but nationally, sometimes it takes a game like that to to see. I just think if you go back and really look at his progression, it's been it's been amazing. It really has. And honestly, I mean, it's easy to say now, hindsight, and all that kind of stuff. But I think the best thing that happened to him was probably South Florida, you know, and and yeah. that where where it was taken away from. And I think that's probably what they were doing, you know. I mean, I really do. And not just for him, but just for the team, sort of a refocus sort of thing. Uh, you know, and, and they got through it and, and that's good. But, uh, I don't know. I, like, like I said, I thought in my head, I can't think of anything right now.
1: Uh, do you think Alabama could go toe to toe with anybody in the nation right now?
5: Yes. I do. Cause I, I think this, I think that, that, that when you are used to finding ways to win, Like they had to do, they like they've had to do really, really all all season long. I think you can go toe to toe with anybody. I really do. When when you when you have that, when when there's, it doesn't always have to be pretty, and it hasn't always been pretty. There's no doubt. But I think when you get that mindset in you, you're going to find a way. Now, that might might not be the same way every week, but you're going to find a way. And I kind of think that's where this team is right now.
2: Do you think? This uh, game on Saturday against uh, Kentucky, uh, Alabama, I, I think right now, is at a 10-point a favorite. Um, and Alabama's not played in Lexington in uh, a decade. And so I, 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 this is a really big deal to people in Kentucky. Do you think there's a, this is a dangerous game for Alabama?
5: I think so. And I think a lot of it is coming off you know beating LSU and and just the, everything that went on with that there's a little bit of uh you know there's got to be a little bit of letdown I would think and and you know this is this is Kentucky's last home game uh you know they uh so so it's a senior night I'm sure it's senior night a little bit but I'm sure it's senior night and uh, our senior you know, senior day whatever and and so I you know I think that there's a little bit of that uh but but I just think you know I like the way Alabama's playing right now and I think they'll be able to overcome that but I, I think you do have to uh, and I'm sure there'll be some things they do this week to make sure that, that, that the focus stays where it should be but but I, yeah I, I, it is a little bit dangerous going into that you know uh, the, just looking from the outside it, it seems a little bit dangerous right now
1: our guest is Steve Irvine from Magic City Impact with UAB's NIL the collective Let's go back to the Heisman Trophy. Who'd get your vote right now?
5: Oh boy, um, probably Michael Penix. Penix, probably. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I haven't really looked close enough to 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 you know say, hey, these are my top three. But you know, I like what they've done and what he's done. And what he's done. So I, that might, that might be my my guy right now. You know, but. Uh, you know, we got a little bit, you know, and, 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 you know me, I've said a long, long time before, I don't, I don't like, you know, I don't like to, I don't like to make predictions. I don't like to, you know, I, to, to me, it is, I want to see body of work, you know, the, I mean, I'm talking about the whole body of work before I really say for sure who I think, but, um, right now, maybe him.
2: Yeah. And, uh, I think Bo Nix is right there. And, uh, um, yeah. o- Oregon is, is playing really well. And I wouldn't be surprised if Pennix and Nix meet in the Pac-12 championship game. Winner of that game potentially goes to, uh, college football playoff. And like we said in, in round one, when it was Washington, Oregon, like this is going to go a long way to determine who is going to be the front runner for the Heisman. And if there is a rematch, I really think that, that game could determine who wins or who loses, uh, not just the Pac-12, but also the Heisman yeah. Trophy.
5: Yeah, and I totally agree. And then, you know, and I, you know, you think back to that game and, you know, Oregon, Oregon outplayed Washington that day. You know, Oregon should be the one sitting here right now with, you know, undefeated and, you know, didn't kick the field goals. And, you know, just, uh, you know, I really thought that Oregon outplayed him that day and, and I thought Bo Nixon really played well but you know hey it is what it is I don't get Dan
2: I, I just didn't get Dan Lanning and then wow. the field goal fiasco I, 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 I don't I don't know I just, I'm not a huge fan of analytics
5: no I'm not either and, and and the thing is I mean you're sitting there thinking that you know that, that really could have been a 10 to 12 to 14 point win you know if you take those field goals and things change and you know, you, you know, you really kind of win that game by you know double digits, maybe, and you know, and then what's you know what's the narrative then? But you know, but the great thing about college football is is you know at that level is is you you can play your way back into it. You know, if you if you do things right, and so they still have a chance. And you know, I'm, I'm sure I would think I would hope that Dan Lanning learned from that day, but I, you know I don't know, but I would hope he did.
1: Hey. Thank you so much, Steve, for spending 30 minutes with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Tell everybody where they can read your material these days.
5: Yeah, MagicCityImpact.com. Uh, like I say, we, we cover UAB more extensively than anybody and really have enjoyed our uh, our time there. And uh, so that's where, you, that's where you can see our stuff.
1: Well, it's always a pleasure. Hello to your family and uh, drive safely the rest of the way home. Appreciate it very much. All right, Steve. Matt.
5: Pre- appreciate you guys.
1: Thank
5: you, Steve. Uh coming up, let's uh
1: let's take a few minutes and talk some NASCAR and particularly a, a special another special weekend event that you can enjoy on Saturday. Brian Crichton, the president of Talladega Super Speedway, will be with us in just a couple of minutes. You're listening to Big News Sports.
2: Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number
0: 230376. WTBC Tuscaloosa and W265CG Tuscaloosa, a town square media station. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app Here's
6: Nick Cope. News in the NFL. Giants coach Brian Dayball announced rookie quarterback Tommy DeVito will start against the Cowboys this weekend. And veteran Matt Barkley, who is being signed to the active roster, will be the backup. DeVito becomes the 10th rookie QB to start a game this season, setting an NFL record. The Vikings open the 21-day practice window for receiver Justin Jefferson. He's working his way back from a hamstring injury. The Cardinals open the 21-day practice window for running back James Conner. He's missed the last four games with a knee injury so there's a chance that Arizona will have both Connor and quarterback Kyler Murray available this weekend. For the Panthers on Thursday Night Football, receiver DJ Chark is down full with an elbow injury. And linebacker Brian Burns is out. He is in concussion protocol. Finally, to the NBA, where the Athletic reports that the league is discussing changing the NBA draft format from one to two days beginning as soon as 2024.
3: This is the Big Noon Sports Network.
1: gone through our halftime adjustments. Not that we needed it. It's Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, Justin Jones, and now joined by the president of the Talladega Super Speedway, Brian Crichton. Brian, how are you today? Matt, I am uh, I am doing wonderful. How are you? That's just It's terrific. Um, it's like we're coming up on the spring race with the, with the, rep- with the weather we've got here. I always love this event that you're having. I, I love the event that you're having on Saturday, and I, I think that there's going to just be a minimal chance of rain, but this is a great event. Go, but uh, laps for charity, fifty dollar donation, get you a, a lap at the Talladega Super Speedway. and I've done this with my children, I've done this with my grandchildren. It, it's just wonderful, and the the deal, Brian, if it just the overall event and the chance to drive around that track in your own car if that doesn't excite you and compel you to go i can't explain exactly how much fun it is can you
7: no it's it's difficult to do and that's why we encourage everybody to come out uh every single penny the 50 dollars donation that gets you three laps around the racetrack every single penny goes to toys for tots that's coming up saturday so we do this four times a year uh, it's been tremendously successful last year we raised over fifty thousand dollars for the four charities um, that benefited from it uh, and it's just great it's you know you cannot explain going around the racetrack on 33 degrees of banking on this massive super speedway until you do it and once you do it you it, it's this aha moment of you know truly putting yourself in the driver's seat of what these nascar drivers do at 200 miles an hour with 39 other cars around you it's pretty much insane
2: yeah and uh one time i was in a golf cart with tony stewart and uh he decided to hey we're gonna we're gonna take the we're gonna take it into the corner here and uh you know i don't know what the minimum speed has to be to make it without fl- flipping over but um Tony barely maintained that because when you are going through that banking it's just like you're looking up mount everest uh it, it is uh it is truly a spectacle when, when when was your first time around the track uh in, with a driver in, uh, in in one of the uh, in one of the cup cars
7: so I, I've been around, I worked at Chicagoland Speedway, I've worked at Daytona, and obviously now Talladega, so I've been around each of them. Um, you know, I, I try to limit my time uh, in the passenger seat with a driver because they like to absolutely scare the pants off of you. Oh, so yes. I'll always remember the time with uh, Carl Edwards down at, uh, in Daytona, and by lap two, I was screaming to get out. Um, you know, I like to have control of the car and holding on to that steering wheel uh, and knowing what the car is doing. Um, but it's been fun. I can't even imagine Tony Stewart in a golf cart at Talladega. <laughs> and to answer your earlier question, it's kind of an urban legend. But in that golf cart, he's got to be going pretty good to, to you know keep it on that track. Um, but until you're going about 80 miles an hour, you're kind of, you're steering up the hill because it's so steep that it wants to drag you back down towards the apron. And you're right, as you're coming towards Turn One or coming towards Turn Three down that Alabama Gang Super Stretch it looks like you're going towards the wall.
1: Yep. There's a building uh, in the way. (laughs) There was
2: another time I was with Tony, and he was in a rental car. We were on I-80 in Pennsylvania. Uh, Pocono was the next day, and he's like, hey, man, watch this. And he gets the car up to, like, maybe 125 on I-80, and then uh, there's an exit ramp, and he just throws on the emergency brake. And I swear, we skidded the whole way and he got it stopped within about three inches in front of the stop sign. It was just, it was just, it was magic. I was just like, oh my gosh, this guy's incredible. And I know like Dale Jr. at Talladega. Um it was one of my friends that he was driving around and uh he got so close to the wall that he clipped his he 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 he, he rubbed the wall a little bit. Uh and he, it, took he was the actually, side, he took the side rear mirror rear out. Rear yeah, cuz he was yeah. in a rental car. He yeah, he was in a rental car. Oh, he yeah. took he the side to mirror base. out. Yeah. Yes. He did that to me too. You know, uh,
1: I was Starleaf sitting Leafs in the front to... passenger. <laughs> Go ahead, please. I was just Brian Yeah, I was just going to say,
7: Darlington has his Darlington stripe. Talladega's got the side mirror stripe going around Talladega. We've got a lot of drivers that have uh, ripped that uh, passenger side mirror off as they're taking laps around this track.
1: You know, um, Dale Jr. did that for charity, and it was to promote a local dealership. And he put a stripe on it. He took off the passenger side rearview mirror. And then it went back on the showroom floor and I think it sold for more than it was listed. Uh, but uh and he'll do that especially if you know you think you know your business and then he'll absolutely rattle your cage.
7: Oh yeah. They probably had him sign the dashboard and that uh that also helped yeah. that uh that sale
1: value. <laughs> uh Brian, uh um, yeah, that'd you think Lars
7: hey, Lars whenever you're in a car with a driver and they say watch this you better go ahead and pull them belts tight. Yeah,
2: exactly. Pull them very, very tight. Um, yeah. Uh, gosh, I've got so many stories, and it's always fun until somebody gets hurt. But nobody ever did. Um, uh, hey, tell us a little bit uh, for our listeners who may just be casual NASCAR fans about kind of the story of Ryan Blaney winning uh, the uh, the NASCAR playoff championship.
7: Yeah, you know, the, obviously the uh, 2023 season just ended this past week in Phoenix for the truck, the Xfinity, and the Cup Series. And, you know, Ryan Blaney, uh, you know, comes from a racing family. You know, his father, Dave Blaney, it was a, is a racer. Uh, and, you know, Ryan is a runner, uh runner for Roger Penske. Uh, and so for Ryan to, to win this year, he won three races, uh, Charlotte uh, as well as Martinsville and Talladega. So he won Talladega in October, and if you listen to his post-race interview, he really gave a lot of credit to win win at Talladega for really just giving his team the energy, giving his team the excitement just to continue on. And it wasn't necessarily a must-win situation, but obviously when you win at Talladega and that punches your ticket to that next round, uh, it makes it a whole lot easier. So um, you know, Ryan is a, a, a big friend of Talladega Super Speedway, just a great, great person. Shouldn't be happier for him. Uh, it was a very expensive win for me um, only because uh, my 14-year-old that's his favorite driver and so I've had to buy many die and many t-shirts and hats uh, now since he's the uh, Cup Series champion.
1: And he's such a good young man. I'm, I was around him a lot when the race before back in the spring he was inducted in the uh, Davy Allison Texaco Coca-Cola Hall of Fame over there and he was just so humble and polite and I know through talking to you and to russell bryan he's really he's really good for talladega he really likes talladega he likes the people he likes the fans and for that reason among many others i was glad to see him win the championship brian tough question for you okay i'm not gonna get off the throttle are you what happened with chase elliott this year and what do you see in 2024
7: you know, I think that's the uh, million-billion-dollar question of kind of what happened. You know, you go back to maybe his accident earlier in the year on the uh, steep slopes with the snowboarding incident. Um, and just maybe the team just never kind of gelled after that, after being out of the seat for a little while. But, you know, that's something for Chase and the, the Hendrick team, you know, really to uh, to expand on. Um, you know, he, he, he ran good at, at times, and uh, other times it was just kind of a mystery. Um, so we absolutely think Chase will be back. Chase, uh, you know, obviously is is a wheel man, uh, growing up, uh, you know, uh, around racing his whole entire life. Um, so we look forward to uh, Chase, and and he considers, you know, Atlanta Motor Speedway as well as Talladega Super Speedway, kind of his home tracks. And so, um, you know, we're uh, we're looking forward to Chase's return next year, and uh, hopefully he'll stay up East Loops, and uh, you know he'll he'll punch another win here at Talladega. You know,
2: it's interesting to me just the, the balance of power in NASCAR among the teams, and and for so many years when I was covering the sport, uh, Hendrick Motorsports was the absolute gold standard, and and now you have uh, Team Penske, as you mentioned, Roger Penske, who's just a, a gem of a person. I love Roger Penske. Um, uh, now they've won back to back titles. With uh, Joey Logano last year and Blaney this year, and also Ford this year swept the uh, the, the whole uh, the, swept all three series right with uh, Cole Custer and Ben Rhodes uh, winning in Fords. So, just give us your analysis, kind of the state of the sport when it comes just to the the the, uh, the teams.
7: Yeah, from a team's perspective, I think that next-gen car that rolled out two years ago has really kind of lay, uh, leveled that playing field. Um, you know, as they used to say, uh, you know, money buys speed. Um, but with these cars now, it's kind of levels that playing field out. Uh, and so the teams can't invest too, too much money into it because a lot of the, um, you know, different you know, parts of the car are, you know, kind of standard and coming from, you know, one manufacturer. Um, you know, so I think that's, kind of, that's helped to, to level the field. Uh, you know, that whole brand new car and everybody's still learning it. You you are seeing from last year to this year kind of those, you know, more powerhouse teams, whether it's, you know, Penske or Hendrick with uh, William Byron winning six races. You know, they're kind of rising back up to the top just because of the, you know, probably all of the different assets and all the different people they have, personnel they have on those teams. Are helping them figure, uh, figure out these new cars a little bit quicker. So, um, I, I absolutely think that's done it. And there's just so many great drivers that are out there too, through all different ranks, um, that helps, helps level that playing field too. But very, very competitive. Our ticket sales continue to be strong. Uh, so a lot of excitement in NASCAR right now.
1: Brian, before we let you go, tell everybody what to do, how to show up, and proceed with their $50 donation to Toys for Tots and their own personal car lap at Talladega.
7: Yeah, this Saturday from 9 in the morning until uh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, just come on out to Talladega Super Speedway. You can register in advance if you want to. Go to talladegasuperspeedway.com to register or for more information, or just show up. Take those three laps around, and if you uh, have a couple of drivers that are in the car, we'll let you take another three laps around for another $50 donation. So every single penny goes to Toys for Tots to help kids in our area.
1: And you also get to wander around uh, big builds and all that where the TGE is, correct?
7: That's right. Halliday Garage Experience will be open. That's our $50 million renovation uh, of our infield. It's got a game zone, a kid's zone. Victory Lane will have one of our pace cars as well as the Vulcan Trophy there for your, so you can take your pictures. It's going to be a great day.
1: It will. Thank you, Brian. Y'all do a super job.
7: Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me on.
1: You bet. Thank you, Brian. Brian hey. Crichton.
7: Yep.
2: On the other side, I got to tell you the story about a NASCAR driver, almost or pretty much flipping the mobile when I was in it, and uh, and also the craziest betting line I have seen in maybe twenty years.
1: Yeah, you know, anything week. involving betting and the mobile is must listen to. Right <laughs> That's right. We'll be right back with Big Roll a- Time.
0: Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. The weather unseasonably warm this afternoon, partly to mostly sunny, the high 82. For tonight, mostly fair with a low at 59. Tomorrow, clouds gradually increasing. We'll have a chance of showers by tomorrow night, the daytime high 79. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 81
3: degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports.
1: Thank you, James Bamp, for a weather report. Uh, earlier, when I said it was kind of getting crisp and fall again, you know, I was wrong. It's now almost eighty degrees. So that will come this weekend, and, and hopefully, as he mentioned, with some rain. As Lars and I were driving back last night from Tuscaloosa, and you could see the smoke and you could smell the fire. From what was happening last night in Brookwood, like 150 acres were on fires. One of 150 wildfires that we have in this state, most, uh, the large majority, are being contained. But folks, to, to be, don't be careless with, with fire right now. Not any time, but particularly right now because we haven't had rain in two weeks or so. And um, it doesn't take much to take kindling into a wildfire. So there's my little smoky bear mentioned for the day, Lars. No, it's a it's a tinder box out there. So also, be extremely careful. Also, we're probably driving about that area, that exit on 2059, and who's hauler past us?
2: <laughs> That's right,
1: Chase Elliott. Cool. it's kind of cool all right now what's this uh, yeah he, he was motor- motoring mobile. too he was, he yeah, was motoring. Was... <laughs> he was he was digging to get back
2: uh um, what a good looking um, i i had I, I had always thought about hey you know make make for a fun story if i ride uh say charlotte to uh fontana right all the <laughs> way across the country with these guys and then i was like ah that that requires way too much effort i don't want to do that so I, I better not pitch it um but one ride i did take was uh in the mobile. and uh we, we've you know we all know what the mobile is right like it's uh oscar meyer oscar meyer and it's a big hot dog wiener wrapped in a bun and, uh, and so I don't even remember the sort of background details as to how I got to be riding shotgun in the Wienermobile with Kurt Bush, uh, at Charlotte Motor Speedway. But, uh, this is, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or so. And, uh, and I, you know, Kurt had a challenging relationship with uh, a lot of the people in the media. But for some reason, we really got along very, very well. Uh, I always just, I respected the heck out of him because, uh, Kurt was, he's, he's so smart, you know, and, uh, and he's just, he didn't care what people thought about him, you know, there, there's just something admirable about that. What, what well, was your he relationship? Didn't always,
1: well, he didn't always have, uh, he didn't have Hendrick Motorsports behind him. Uh, he yeah. ran as an indie uh, a lot of his career and he won a championship. Uh, yeah, but he's a very hard nose yep, with Roush. Yep, yep. yep. Heard okay. Yep. So that was a, that was probably the biggest team he ever raced for. But um, it, I didn't like the way he treated the media because sometimes they just treat the media because they can. Um, but he grew out of that, and then he let his yeah. little brother take over. But yeah. yeah. Uh, but, so, so what anyway. happened with the old? So,
2: okay, so, uh, but, um, yeah, so we. Um, We were supposed to, there's like an inner track at Charlotte Motor Speedway and, uh, it's kind of like you, 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 you start on the, uh, pit road and then you just kind of do a circle around and you go back to, you go, you exit pit road and you take a right and then you go and you come back in on the, on the back side of pit road. So anyway, that's what he was supposed to do and, um, and and you know is again it was just me and him for some reason and he was like nope Lars we're taking this baby out <laughs> and so he got it going as fast as possible and I look back and uh, you know he didn't stay on the on the route that we were supposed to go he went onto the main track and we're cruising into turn one. And I see about 30 people with, uh, with Oscar Mayer t-shirt, you know, their gear running after Kurt. And I was saying, stop, stop. I mean, cause, and Kurt was determined to flip this thing in the corner. Um, and, uh, well, what he would really want to do, he wanted to get two wheels off and off the ground. And then try to, in the top two wheels, right, uh, as we're going into turn one and to see then if he could balance it, uh, (laughs) through the corner. And he made it. It, it, No, he's nuts. I mean, all these, these guys are nuts. These guys are nuts. I think I don't know if you've ever just been, you know, like going from point A to point B with a NASCAR driver and in like a regular car, these Man. guys, these guys just they, the speed limit it, it doesn't exist. Okay, they don't, okay? Get.
1: They don't no. get tickets either. By the way,
2: they get out. Yeah, Especially they, they in get North Carolina. They,
1: they get pulled they go, over. Oh, hey, Kirk, no problem. Yeah. yeah, no, they
2: they get pulled over, but you're right. They don't get they don't get tickets because um they they do things with cars. And I always said this. It was always a great challenge for me to – and I'm I'm sure it is for you too when you are calling a race to uh, try to make uh, uh, the race and like what makes a good race car driver try to make that relatable to a stick and ball fan. Right, and not someone who is extremely familiar with motorsports. And I always tried to use the uh, idea that the car is almost an extension of their body right and, and and they and they they make it act and react as if it's a if it if it's a limb and they have uh amazing hand eye foot coordination and and there's actually you know there's uh there's it sounds crazy to say with motorsports but there's some poetry to what a really good NASCAR driver can do behind the wheel and so anyway, Kurt got it and he was able to get the, the the top two off the just for a little bit and right when I thought we were about ready to, you know Topple over and maybe die. Uh, he got back on the ground. But What a way to get, go!
3: How would uh, that obituary
2: read? <laughs> I know. I've always yeah. There were a couple times when you know I flew on with Tony Stewart and on his helicopter on a helicopter or on or on a a, a jet. You know, to, with different drivers. I'm like, man, if if this thing goes down, like in the New York Times story. I don't get mentioned until, like, the sixth paragraph. (laughs) Have you ever thought that? Like, this is not the way
1: I want (laughs) to die.
2: I'm an afterthought.
1: as, (laughs) As long as we are literally going down this road. Two quick stories. Richard Patty in North Carolina was once given a ticket because somebody was going slow in the left lane and he didn't just tailgate him he got up on him and gave him a bump at about <laughs> eight miles an hour I mean, can you imagine being in that car uh, and also in reference to, to your um, hand eye eye hand coordination um, they did some kind of a survey on different athletes and what they possessed and one of them was about eyesight. Yeah, I think they got a couple of drivers. Daryl Waltrip was one of them. And he was the only one other than other NASCAR drivers that could do this. And they had them stand over a, a record player with a 45 on it. Okay? No other athletes could read the label as it turned at 45 RPM except for NASCAR drivers. And that wow. just gives you an idea literally of how focused they are. That's really, that's really interesting. One more question for you. Why is it you think that
2: it's like age 42, uh, is when you, or 41, you really see a dramatic diminishment of, uh, of performance in the very elite of uh, elite drivers, Dale Earnhardt Sr. was different because at age 50, he, he finished, or age 49, he finished second in the standings. And at age 50 is when, uh, he was going to try to become the first 50 year old to ever win championship. And that's when he passed away at Daytona. But it, it, is it because just, is it a diminishment of the hand-eye foot coordination? So is it, is it an athletic or is it sort of like, you know what? I've been in. I've, I've hit the wall so many times. I know what it feels like. So I am not willing to put the nose of my car in a precarious
1: situation that could end up with me hitting the wall at one fifty. I think it's the same reason that you don't see quarterbacks in the four, at age forty five, with the exception of a guy like Brady. I think your athleticism diminishes over time. That is what happens with the human race, whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not. But it happens, and that more than any other reason is why you see these guys, they get around 40, and they likely retire. Now, they'll still go out and run. Kenny Schrader's still running races, but uh, they're on shorter tracks and feature events and that kind of stuff. So, all right, we did the NASCAR thing.
2: Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I'd love it. to talk. It, this is good. No, to talk I, we could do this. We could talk. I, I got NASCAR. one
1: more. I got one more really good story about an RV at Talladega, and I'll share that with you. And then Lars is going to get into this IO Rutgers over under, which is just uh, oh, hard to understand. You're listening to Big Noon Sports.
3: Sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports.
1: Welcome back in Big Noon Sports. I was getting (laughs) coffee. Sorry, all right good,
2: before we get to Robbie uh who is, uh called in Matt uh share your uh, uh your anecdote your driving anecdote your shit. Right.
1: this is uh this is about the guy that started it all and I don't know if you ever had a chance to be around him, but I did fortunately big bill senior Bill france senior he started this all he's the one that had the dream of bringing of uh bringing NASCAR to Talladega. But word is when it first got surfaced and, you know, they had some controversy about the asphalt, you know, the track itself coming apart. And the first race there, a lot of the big drivers like Richard Petty did not participate. But anyway, it, the, as the legend goes, and I think the most of this is factual, uh, Bill Frank Sr. had his RV uh, at Talladega. And he said, I'll go show you if it's going to come apart. I'll take this RV around the track. And there were a couple of people in the RV himself. Of course, France was a racer. You know, he started on the beaches of Daytona. But he got that dang RV up to speed where he could go through the turns. And the guy that I heard this story from, I think it was from Bob Gambacurta. God rest his soul. He was one of my former partners. But he said that it was going so fast and it was at such an angle that he was afraid it was going to tip over. And who wouldn't? But you know all those latches that batten down the hatches literally in an RV? so they don't come open while you're driving so the dishes will stay in there he said every dang one of them unsnapped he said there were dishes flying everywhere the tvs were coming off their hinges and it was just an, an incredible deal he did all that to prove a point and that's the kind of guy big bill senior was um, wow he, i love that uh, it's a great story all right Twenty-eight and a half. Tell me why that number is significant. Well, before we go to uh, that, uh,
2: let's uh, let's go to Robbie, Robbie Glenn, uh, who All is right. uh, called in and um, former Alabama baseball player, part-time host of uh, Big Noon Sports. Robbie, uh, you hanging out at Rock and Roll Sushi? Yep,
4: hanging out here at uh, one of our uh, favorite places to eat, Rock and Roll Sushi, in Hoover.
2: Awesome, man. And, hey, uh, you sent me some amazing information about Stryker Strong. Um, first off, let, tell our listeners who may not be familiar with uh, your son, Stryker, and what Stryker Strong is.
4: Yeah, Stryker is uh, our, my son and uh, Lindsay's son. Uh, I said that kind of backwards, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, he he was uh, born with a rare syndrome, TBRS, and brown syndrome, and so he has, uh, he's been going through some, uh, experiences all through his life. And then, uh, at the age of four, had a febrile seizure, what was very common, ended up, uh, throwing up and aspirating. And when he did, it stopped his heart. And, uh, now he has an anoxic brain injury. And so we have been dealing with that for four and a half years and just, just trying to enjoy what we have with him. Um, as you know, it's, it's a lot of work. But we started a golf tournament uh, a while ago when he was just diagnosed with the TBRS to raise money to help uh, awareness and also uh, get some funds for um, testing and everything to help out. And now we also do the tournament to help other local charities, uh, other other avenues, and also still helps TBRS. And so we just got done with the golf tournament, well, a few months ago. We were able to cut a check for 25000 to TBRS. Uh, to help with the research, we were able to help a uh, Uber School System here with some lifts and special needs equipment for their classrooms that deal with special needs kids that they needed. Uh, also, Miracle League and Helena, we're going to cut a check for five thousand to them, and also going to help with uh, Alabama Veterans on Monday with their golf tournament and donate to them to help uh, raise money for the veterans. So we're doing a lot of things in Striker Strong to help local and uh, where
1: we can. It's been, it's been really nice. It's a cool thing, and uh especially in really like the involvement of Veterans Day. I uh, hope everybody yeah, has more than a moment to appreciate what happens on Saturdays. We should celebrate 365 days a year, but Veterans Day is this weekend, so that is all cool. It
4: is, and so. Veterans Day is very special to me. i got a, I got a very large military family, and I had just lost my uncle, who was a major in the marines and i lost him a couple months ago and so yes i'm this veterans i'm going to celebrate him and everything he meant to me in my life and how he basically was like another father to me and raised me so definitely going to help anywhere we can with these veterans and uh yes, this weekend so get out and support your veterans because uh they supported us all this time
2: uh, R- Robbie, uh, Justin was just uh, telling me about uh, Alabama baseball getting uh, cranked up here. Uh, you're obviously former baseball, Alabama baseball player. Uh, just give us an update on uh, on what's going on with uh, the Alabama baseball team. Well, I'll tell
4: you what, I mean, they're, they're actually just finishing a uh, great fall season. Um, I was unfortunate I couldn't, you know, you know how hard it is for me to get to certain events, but you know, following them and keeping what they did against Auburn in their preseason game and just how many home runs and how the pitching did. You know, they don't like to show final score, but it looked like they wore Auburn out pretty good. And, uh, then Florida State to come in, who's a national power always year in and year out. And then I see how many home runs they hit against them and how the pitching did. So I'm assuming they did well. Now they just wrapped up the, uh, the crimson and gray. And I know it was one and one and I did not get to see yesterday how it ended. Through was the came out on champs? But uh I'm looking forward to this year to see how they how they play. They got a lot of talent, apparently a lot of bats, and Vaughn's just uh come in there and got them excited. I do like the way Coach Vaughn has reached out to every former player in an email, text, or whatever he has done to get in touch with us and wants us back to campus, get involved any way we can and be a part of the of the team that is more like a family. And uh, but
1: that's awesome for him to do that. Hey, before we let you go, Robbie, I don't think I've ever asked you this question. If I have, I apologize because I don't remember. You played college baseball at Alabama, and then you played some minor league ball. Name a couple of few of the players that you faced that were on the diamond. You
4: opposed or played with? Uh, well, I mean, of course, I'm going to name some of the guys I played with, with Frank Monacchino and Joe Vitiello, some of the best players I ever played with. And Philip Doyle was one of the better ones, too, uh, being short. But going against, uh, I would probably have to say the best kid that I went against he was a freshman at LSU when I was a senior. And I knew he was going to be good, and that was Todd Walker. That, something about the way he could play he was phenomenal and look what, how, how long career he had so Todd Walker was probably the one I would so have I thought was one of the best um,
1: anybody in the minors
4: um Alan Newman was comes to mind uh yeah uh Chris Snowpeck was another one played at Ole Miss and I played against him in the minors he played with the White Sox organization for a while um he pitched he, he was a he was a great one too um went against uh, alex uh fernandez pitcher for the Marlins. uh he was he was a uh, i went against him in high school and in and in the minor one time so he threw no-no uh, in
1: the bigs didn't
4: he yeah he was he was something Man. i we had never seen something like that in my high school when we faced him and he went to uh Miami Pace, but i was Pensacola base and we played in the state championship and, that he, he threw something with him. man, he was he was
2: something back in high school. Hey so, and Robbie, I'm, here's another random question for you. Who's the best uh batting practice player you've ever witnessed? <laughs> yeah, I it was guy say
4: me. Yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and say me, guys. I could I could well I could knock them out of the park and they get in the game and I I hit good for average. I just could not get it out of the park. During the season, I hit like six or seven. But I would hit them out nonstop. But uh, that's Bobby Pierce on me. Good BP, I guess. Coach Bobby Pierce. Well, you actually talked
2: about this earlier, which is really interesting, how uh, the coaches, they're not just throwing you certain pitches. They're, 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 They're just not throwing randomly. Like, there's a process to the batting practice, right?
4: Well, I mean, there is, but the guys want to get in a groove. You're, you're just basically, when you're getting up there, they're going to keep throwing their same speed, kind of momentum. And you're kind of, your first couple pitches, you're trying to go off to the field, a little hit and run, do the job, get them over to third. Uh, then you're going to do some scoring, kind of get in the outfield. And then you're going to kind of crank some up and get your free swings in, but you're still just going to groove them in there. Um, you might have a pitcher that you're going to face that day with scattered sports that has some curveballs. So he might end a couple of in batting practices and get used to it. Um, but other than that, he's just going to group in there and get your eye on the ball. You know, anybody can crank him out, but it, where can you hit the gaps outside pitch? Can you do, you know, can you do a hit and run like you're supposed to? That's well, that's I mean, you're, also, you're,
1: you're,
2: you're a big golfer. Is there, a, is there a similarity between being, uh, you know, the champion on the uh, driving range as, <laughs> as being the champion of, in, of BP?
4: Yeah, something about that driving room is wide open right so you can just take a full swing <laughs> but then you get on the fairway it's a little narrow got some trees got some houses try and dial it in or you got some water you got to clear yeah it's a little different it's a mental, it's a mental thing <laughs> so hey Robbie hey, great stuff but hey uh, guys I'll about see are... y'all Friday but also is this isn't crazy that the year that we're going to have before we have the 12 team playoff everybody's talking about this 14 playoff because it's exciting there's so many games to watch this week and next week yeah. of who's going to get in. Nobody would be watching Miami-Florida State this week if it wasn't for a – if it was a 12-team because they already know Florida State's in. This is going to be so are we, a fun weekend to watch are you football
2: advocating? Football. Are you advocating for um, status Keeping quo, it a Keep it at four, even though Alabama Wait, could be on the outside looking in?
4: It, they could be, but, I mean, it makes it exciting. If they just keep winning, I mean, no telling what's going to happen. This makes it fun. Everyone's going to be watching to see what Washington does at Utah this week. No one would care if it was a 12-team because they're both in. So, good point. I don't
1: know. I think if you had awesome. 12, then you have the 13 through the 20 that are doing the same thing that we are now. Yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, do you know who wins this, this is overall? Awesome. you know who wins overall?
4: TV. So, TV. Oh, yeah, TV's going to be what? Money. Yeah, everybody's looking to watch Pac-12 and everything this weekend.
1: Robert, yeah.
2: Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's a uh, that's a great about. point. Robbie, no, uh yeah, great talking to you, Robbie. But Matt, that's a great point. Yeah. Would Alabama fans really be would people in the South be as interested in what goes on with Washington and Oregon this weekend? We haven't if been it was before. A, If it was an eighteen <laughs> playoff
1: I don't know, Uh, but apparently we're going to see. Not this year. We'll see how 2023 bears out. We'll wrap up this Wednesday edition of Big Noon Sports with a big salute when we get back.
0: On the next Inside the Locker Room with Coach Wimp Sanderson and Barry Sanderson.
3: Tune in Thursday, 7.30. We'll talk with J.C. Sherbeth. We'll go around the SEC, get his thoughts on the Alabama-Kentucky game. Also in the second hour, Deb will release his blue plate special. Currently 7-3. Can he stay hot?
0: inside the locker room, weekdays 7 to 9 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. If you're a home, Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. The weather unseasonably warm this afternoon, partly to mostly sunny, the high 82. For tonight, mostly fair with a low at 59. Tomorrow, clouds gradually increasing. We'll have a chance of showers by tomorrow night, the daytime high 79. I'm James Spam of the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 81 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
3: From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports.
1: Hey, thanks for tuning us in today. Big Noon Sports. And while we are carried by affiliates, well, first of all, Tide 100.9 and WTBC 1230 there in Tuscaloosa, others in East Alabama. Our producer of this program for the last few months has been Justin Jones. And um, this is Justin's last day. And uh, Lars and I just want to take a, a moment and just tell you how much we appreciate. Thank you for all you've done. And what a real professional you have been early in your life in a business that tries your nerves every single hour <laughs> but anyway justin um let it be said that you are going to be sorely missed
8: i really appreciate it guys i think um i've learned a lot in the time uh producing y'all's show and i'm extremely thankful and uh, learned a lot as well i think i just said that but the um, people we've gotten to talk to as well as learning from both um, you and lars has been something i'll remember and, and cherish it's it's been great
2: You know, Justin, um, you and I go back a ways. Uh, You took uh, one or two of my classes, I believe. Um, And one of the first assignments I always ask people to do is uh, favorite sports memory and then to write about that. Um, So let's go back to that. Go back to the beginning. What, what, What is your favorite sports memory?
8: You know, you're right, and I'm having trouble remembering what I wrote about. But I think think the memory I wrote about was the uh, second and 26. Um, It's nothing fancy. It's nothing um, special. I I mean, it's special in the sense that Alabama won the championship on the last play of the game. But uh, it's my favorite memory because I got to spend it there uh, with my dad in the living room. And uh, growing up, as I've mentioned many times, My dad was in the military growing up, so he was often at work. He's been deployed several times. Finally having him home, though, and getting to watch Alabama football with him. And we were jumping, celebrating, just in our our own house, in our own living room. That's one of my favorite sports moments.
2: And I actually remember... I remember. I remember the story. It, it, it sticks out to me. And and uh, Matt, it, it, it's really amazing when I ask students to do this, and, and Justin just so eloquently um, summarized his piece. Is that they're not. They don't end up writing about sports. They end up writing about relationships and about yeah, emotion and and heart and and, and that is the that's the magic to me matt of sports right there
1: i think that uh there's a term that i hope still rings true today that's been used throughout my lifetime in just really quickly surmising what you think about a person and it's you were raised right and i think that falls all over you justin and you just explained it and detailed it by talking about your relationship with your father um unfortunately uh you don't hear that as often as you used to but anyway you were raised right go play golf with your dad and, and enjoy your time and i think that there are really bright there bright sunshines in your future
8: well you know speaking of my and my dad and golf he actually ditched me this weekend he went down to tampa <laughs> driving down there today to go play um in a memorial tournament down there with his his friends from his old unit so I'll I'll have to hit the driving range this weekend and get some practice in before he comes back
2: Uh, (laughs) that's so cool that um, I I love talking to you about this about uh, you golfing with your dad because me golfing with my 8 year old son Lincoln is absolutely just the the, um, most cherished times of my life and uh, you know I'm Doing a lot of research on Tom Brady right now, and Tom Brady's dad uh, said to Tom, "It was they, they played in a father's son tournament, I think, when Tom was eight, same age as uh, my son." And Tom Brady senior, he looked at, uh, at 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 Tommy, as they all still call him in the family, looked at him and said, "This is the greatest round I've ever played," and it had nothing to do with the score. It was just the fact that they were playing together, and I, so I just learned this anecdote like uh, like two days ago, and just this last weekend, I looked at Lincoln, and uh, I was you know I was his uh, caddy daddy in a <laughs> in a tournament, and uh, after after he uh, you know drained a birdie putt on the last hole, I looked at him and said, "This is the greatest round of golf I've ever played," and I didn't even play. And so, I mean, that's just, it's just like, it's universal of of what sports can do to foster and build and nurture and and uplift relationships.
1: And it doesn't have to be with just your dad. That's where you top. But I mean, you you got two or three really good friends that enjoy their company. You go out and you play golf. It's just, it's a wonderful experience. And, Particularly with your father, I hope that everybody's had a chance to do that or something similar. So being said, Justin, well wishes from Matt and Lars.
8: Of course, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. It's been a fun couple months.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Lars, and we only have a good. couple of minutes. This
8: is deal great with
1: Rutgers in Iowa.
2: Rutgers in minutes. Iowa. Yeah. All right. It's gonna be hard to uh summarize this in two minutes, but Right now, the over, uh, over-under, over so total points scored in Iowa <laughs> Rutgers is uh, 28.5, which is the lowest over-under in 30 years in college football. And <laughs> there's a lot of reasons for this. Iowa is the 130th ranked offense in the country uh they're just ahead of Akron, East Carolina and Nevada. Uh these two teams are 5 and 22. Iowa is the first uh Power 5 conference school to pr- produce 250 yards of offense or less in 6 of its first 9 games. Ow. And then and then, yet, uh, the Hawkeyes right now, they're 7-2. And, and they lead the Big Ten West ahead of Nebraska, unbelievably. But here's the deal. Uh, Iowa, um, what do they do really well? They punt the ball. They have the best punter in, like, the last 10 years. His name's Tory Taylor. And so they can't score, but they got a dude who can boom it, like, 55 yards every time. And here's the scary thing. Nebraska is on Iowa's schedule here coming up. I think it's the day after Thanksgiving and Nebraska's, and of course everything circles around in Nebraska, Justin. That's why we got to finish it off this way. Nebraska's offense is so pathetic that this spread, the lowest over under in history, it may even go lower when <laughs> Iowa plays Nebraska. That's I think we're, it's going to be an over-under of like 27.
1: <laughs> this Iowa team is one Gene Stallings would absolutely love. He'd like a little bit more offense, but a field position game. Uh, Play it in the right. trenches. See you, Justin. Uh, love, love you, Justin.
3: Ah! Huh?